The Charlotte Hornets drop one to the Sacramento Kings at home, a game in which they were up by 15 at halftime. I'm going to go over the good, I'm going to go over the bad, and I'm going to go over the ugly. That's all ahead on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. <laughs> This is Locked On Hornets. Welcome in. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. Thanks so much for making Locked On Hornets your first listen every day. We are free. We are daily wherever you get your podcast. If you like to listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those apps. But if you like to watch, if you like to see our beautiful faces, beep, 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 beep. we are on YouTube. Check us out there. Even if you like to listen, subscribe to us on YouTube because it actually helps our show grow significantly. So uh, please do that if you haven't already. I'm Doug Branson. You can catch more of my work on my Substack, everyhornetsboxscore.com. You can catch all of my game notes, including uh, my game notes for this game against Sacramento right now at everyhornetsboxscore.com. It is a solo show today. I am typically joined by my partner in crime, Walker Mail. Uh, you can catch him on WFNZ. He hasn't been on the past two shows. I think I may have promised, uh, I broke that promise, I may have promised that he was going to be on this show. He will be on tomorrow's show and, and moving forward. Here's the thing with Walker. He is on the wedding circuit, the first wedding circuit. He is of that age where a lot of his uh, peers and uh, people are getting married and uh, he's on the first wedding circuit. I am a little bit older. I am on the second wedding circuit, uh, which is the occasion second marriage circuit. And let me tell you something. I love the second wedding circuit because second weddings are a lot more trimmed down than first weddings. Typically the second wedding are filled with people who understand they've been to all the first weddings. They've done the first wedding and they understand what's really important, which is getting people to the food as quickly as possible. So they dispense with a lot of the frills. They understand what worked at the first wedding, what didn't work. They've game planned. They've studied the tape and they go back in and they really nail second wedding. So um, if you're with, me uh, leave a comment in the comments on YouTube if you're with me that second wedding circuit so much better than first wedding circuit I don't know if there's a third wedding circuit I hope so I hope it's even better I don't know how it could be better than second wedding circuit I like I you know I used to when I was on first wedding circuit I would get the thing in the mail that would say you know your hundredth friend is getting married it's like oh my god we gotta get another but now second wedding comes in I'm like yeah buddy we're in for a good time on that one I'll go anywhere I'll travel anywhere for a second wedding um, there's a been there, done that quality to second weddings. And I think I'm going to tie this now neatly back into the Hornets. Okay. I think that I was reading a lot of, or I don't think I was reading a lot of, uh, comments from Hornets fans. And it feels like there's a been there, done that quality to the Hornets fan experience right now, uh, in the sense that the Hornets, they go in and they beat Atlanta and they beat Golden State and there's so much excitement and then you have this significant drop off when they lose to Orlando when uh, a game in which uh, the Orlando was 0-5 they were miserable they they all, they didn't have any point guards and then they beat Golden State in overtime they get they 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 dispense with that overtime record of having lost 10 straight overtime games and then you go into this game against Sacramento they're 1 and 4 
and then De'Aaron Fox goes out of the game early, so it feels you, you have a 15-point lead at halftime. Everything feels like it's going your way, and then things fall apart in the third quarter. We're going to get to that later in the show. I'm going to dive into that third quarter and some of the ugly in this game as well uh, th- that happened in the fourth quarter that uh, really sealed the loss for the Charlotte Hornets. So there's a been there, done that quality, but I think things are still different. And there is this looming kind of elephant in the room, which is that they don't have LaMelo Ball. They don't have Terry Rozier. They don't have Cody Martin, which I don't want to forget Cody Martin because I think Cody would have significantly helped them come back in this game in that fourth quarter, or at least maintain in that fourth quarter, because uh, they did have a three-point lead. Um, they, they could have sealed this game away if they had a, a defensive wing in Cody Martin. So I don't want to forget about him as well. But I want to focus on the good, the people that are playing well right now, even through this loss. And I think the first player, there are probably two players that I want to highlight, but the first player I have to highlight is P.J. Washington, who is significantly expanding his game offensively. And I do have a little visualization for the YouTube folks, and I'll explain it for the people listening as well. Um, but here is his, well, let's start with a shot chart from last season. So this is his shot chart from last season. And you can see ton of three-point shots, ton of shots at the rim. This is a very modern shot chart, very Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey shot chart, not really expanding much into the into the mid-post or the mid-range, uh, some stuff on the block here, but mostly right at the rim and right at three. And, and this is low-usage P.J. Washington shot chart here. Last season, you know, he was he was a low-usage player. This season so far, though, his usage has gone up. Uh, They are depending on him for offense. And you can see with this shot chart, there's a lot around the mid post and he's doing really well. There are a lot of uh, a lot of circles here marking makes in the mid post area and then in the mid range too, long twos. You know, he's getting players to bite on a shot and he's moving in for long two shots as well. And those are going in. So, you know, still has a significant number of three point shots, still a ton at the rim because his game, you know, in terms of putting the ball on the floor, he's so much better than he was last year. Putting the ball on the floor, getting inside, and making people miss or foul him. And he said after this game that he put a lot of work in the summer on doing just that. I think I think part of it was on his body. He slimmed down. He's more agile. He's more quick. But also, yeah, there is a skill bump in terms of the thing that the things that he's doing. But I, but I show you that expansion to really just illustrate like all the different kinds of things uh, that that he's doing with his game. And, and I'm sure you've noticed it when you watch. Like, there's the pull up jump shot is there. The the catch and uh, shoot three pointer is still there. He he was good at that in previous seasons. But now there's. You know, there's turnaround jump shots. There are little baby hooks. Uh, there are step back shots that he's pulling off off the dribble step back like that's just stuff we didn't see from pj washington maybe maybe rarely but we didn't or at all i don't know i i I can't recall but um to see those and he's knocking them down over tough defenses but in this game uh, he was one of the lone bright spots 28 points 12 of 21 three of four from three uh did get to the line once but 28 points five rebounds three assists uh, he was great. 36 minutes, uh, him and Dennis Smith Jr., I think the other bright spot in this game, played the most minutes, and, and they are significantly leaning on him. And if you look at some of the cleaning the glass numbers, his points per shot attempt, 
if you take away the like that Orlando game was obviously miserable for him, and then if you look back that New Orleans game, he didn't do well as as well. Those are two like outlier games for him. But if you look at just generally, if you take the lowest game and the highest game away, like his points per shot attempt is sitting somewhere around you know one twenty five, which would be great for a big, which is what he is. Um, what he's listed as in cleaning the glass. But over the past two games, his usage has been 25.6 and 20%, which are high for a big points per shot attempt, 127 against Sacramento, 129 against Golden State. I mean, these are fantastic numbers that he's putting up right now. And Steve Clifford made sure to mention, too, that they're not only working it to him offensively for shots, but they're also looking to get the ball to him, you know, right there in the middle of the floor to set up passing game for cutters and for, you know, getting it to the corner for corner three point shots to Kelly Oubre and others. So there's they're really running the offense through PJ Washington. Now the interesting question is like what happens once LaMelo ball comes back, once Terry Rozier comes back, how do we how do you shift that? You know, there, there's going to be some significant shifts in usage and the way things are happening. Uh and and is there a way that Steve Clifford can work PJ in more when those players start to come back, what does that do to Gordon Hayward's, you know, uh, offensive load? I think, you know, we're seeing something similar to what happened last season, right? It, where where Miles Bridges made uh, super strides in the things that he could do offensively, and he took more of the responsibility. And you saw Gordon Hayward sort of shrink when that happened because Lamelo was playing, and then once Terry Rozier came back, Terry Rozier started to take more of a load, and you saw Gordon Hayward sort of shrink back into the background. Who who shrinks? I mean, I think that's a, a big question moving forward. Okay, a lot more to get to in this one. Um, I want to talk about Dennis Smith Jr. some because he he had a great stat line in this one. But then we got to get – I mean, obviously they lost the game. It was – I don't think it was as embarrassing as a loss to Orlando, but it was still a significant loss. We got to talk about some of the bad that happened, why they lost, and some of the ugly later in the show, including the defense on Kevin Herter. I mean, you got to defend Kevin Herter at the three-point line. There were breakdowns all over the place. We're going to get to that as well. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about our friends at LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. I know I have a small business. I hire out contractors all the time. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster. And this is the best part, especially if you own a small business where the profit margins can be a little thin. It's free. All you have to do is add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile, and then you can spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. So here's what you do. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So all you have to do is post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free terms and conditions apply more on this loss to Sacramento coming up on the locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks so much for making Locked On Hornets your first listen every day. Make sure you're also listening to Locked On Sports today. Great podcast. 
From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On provide. This is a really cool network. We have podcasts uh, in in all of the uh, professional sports markets, and uh, so you get that sort of in-depth local coverage on that show uh, that is super neat. So make sure to check out Locked On Sports today. A couple of injury updates before we get to the bad. Uh, Someone asked Steve Clifford after this game on some updates on LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, and Cody Martin. Said they're getting closer. They're doing some basketball stuff now as opposed to just shooting around. So that's a good sign. But it's clear from his answer that this organization wants to be really careful. I think particularly with the ankle injuries to LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier, that you don't bring them back too soon, and then they suffer a, a, an injury either to the ankle or something else uh, associated with the ankle uh, being not 100%, you suffer another injury that is significantly worse. And, you know, th- something interesting with the injuries, before the season got started, I was on record as saying, you know, injuries to multiple high usage or big rotation pieces would be apocalyptic for the Charlotte Hornets. Disastrous. Whatever adjective you wanted to use to illustrate that it would be um, a, a bad, a really, 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 really bad thing if more than one of those rotation pieces got hurt. Th- that's what I thought. W- what I think has changed is that Nick Richards, Dennis Smith Jr., Teo Maladone, you've gotten some players in here that could put some fingers in the dam, if you will, to stop the bleeding. Uh, their their energy, both on the defensive end, Jalen McDaniels also, you put put him in that bucket. P.J. Washington, the pr- improvements that I talked about in the first segment. Gordon Hayward has been good at times. So you've had all of those forces come together to stem the tide a little bit. And now it's not apocalyptic, but at the same time, I think this Sacramento loss, the Orlando loss, illustrate that it's going to be near impossible for the Charlotte Hornets to maintain success, to sustain play if you don't have some of these major talent pieces. Talent wins in the NBA. I mean, it's just, it's just that's the that's the fact of the matter. Uh, you have to have as much talent as possible. So getting LaMelo back and Terry back will be significant for this team. Th- there might be some growing pains. There might be some things that they have to figure out rotation-wise. But in the long term, it's going to be good for this team. And they've, they've got to figure out, you know, how quickly is is quick enough? Uh, and you know you don't want to slow play it either because you don't want to put yourself in a significant hole, especially early in the season when the when the schedule itself is favorable to you. It's later in the season when we get into the cold winter and really in the spring where the schedule tightens up for the Charlotte Hornets. Okay, let's let's zoom back into this game against the Sacramento Kings. Again, they lose. That final score is one fifteen one oh eight, but they were up fifteen points at the half. I mean, they looked. Pretty dominant, um, to, to be frank. I mean, especially offensively, uh, the Kings, their, their defense had broken down in that second quarter. They were playing a little bit better than the first quarter, uh, and and the Hornets go on a little bit of a run there to end the half. But, you know, without De'Aaron Fox goes down with uh, some knee soreness, doesn't return to this game. And so you think even that, even though Davion Mitchell had come in and knocked down a few shots, he was like, I think Eric Collins said it several times on the broadcast, he came, came into this game 2 of 12 from 3. Uh, what was his final uh, stat line? I mean, Davion Mitchell was crazy. 9 of 11 from the field, 5 of 6 from 3. So he had that sort of bench-wrench game. But at the same time, you had to feel good going into the half. You just came out with that same mentality that you started the game with. They're finally starting games well. 
If you just come out with that same mentality, then you probably take this game easily. Uh, but instead, the third quarter was filled with turnovers. They're not taking care of precious possessions that they can use to score. And fouling uh, was still a significant issue um, in this third quarter. They had the same number of fouls and turnovers, seven, as they had uh, field goals in this game. And had it not been, by the way, for James Booknight hitting some clutch threes in, in at the end of that third quarter, uh, this game might have been out of reach uh, even before the fourth quarter. Uh, but Sacramento wins that quarter 37-18, to 18, and it was giving up a lot of three-point shots, but a lot of those three-point shots were coming in transition, scramble mode, off of silly turnovers. Uh, and DSJ, who I thought really had a great stat line in this game, if you look at his stat line, 7 of 13 from the field, 15 points, was only 1 of 5 from 3. Uh, but had seven rebounds and eight assists, so 15-7-8. And oh, by the way, had six steals in this game. Uh, but he had four turnovers. And that's, you know, eight assists and six steals. Yeah, that's going to outweigh the four turnovers. The problem is you add those four turnovers to every literally – not literally, but almost everyone on the team had two turnovers. This was a team-wide turnover issue, <clears throat> and it was also a fouling issue. It was also you know, offensive fouls, bad screens, that kind of thing. Just fundamental stuff that was really hurting them in that third quarter. Uh, and fouling has been an issue, strangely, all season. Um, guarding without fouling, but also, you know, just discipline fouls, technical fouls. Uh, Nick Richards also picked up a foul, a technical foul in the fourth quarter. Gotta, look, I'm going to say this, and I think Nick Richards has been amazing this year, but I don't know that he's quite good enough yet to be picking up technical fouls in the fourth quarter. I would say, like, my word for this game was discipline. Uh, I did, they didn't look very disciplined in that second half, and and that's where I think, you know, the, the Orlando game was a, was a display of that as well. Um, so that was some of the bad. Gordon Hayward also in the second half. I'll pull up his uh, – see if I can pull up his second half. Was third quarter – was he was 0-4 in the third quarter in that sort of decisive third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, he was 0-2. So 0-6 in uh, the second half, and I don't think he had any free throw attempts as well. So he put up a goose egg in terms of scoring in the second half. You know, he's a major piece, and he was getting some significant usage in this game. And so, you know, you, you got to get a couple of buckets from Gordon. Um, he blamed himself uh, for the, the loss to uh, Orlando as well. And we've said, you know, asking a lot from Gordon, but probably need a little bit more. I think that goes for this game as well. Second half uh, was was pretty tough for him. Uh, so that's some of the bad there was there was an opportunity though for the Hornets to get back into this game in the fourth quarter. Uh, PJ had a brilliant move to get Rashawn Holmes to bite, dish to Nick for the easy bucket. Hornets were down by two early in the fourth quarter, and uh, you know, going back to that first uh, segment where we were talking about PJ, he was showing the full bag at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Had amazing footwork to score over Lyles early in that fourth quarter. Um, and then uh, DSJ gets the steal, goes to the PJ floater. PJ was scoring on all three levels in that fourth quarter and really dragged the team back into that game uh, before that Nick Richards tech and a 10-0 Kings run that was pretty significant in drowning the Hornets in that fourth quarter. So that was the ugly. That's coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Stay with us. Much more ahead. 
Back here on Locked On Hornets, thanks so much for making us your first listen every day. We've gone over the good, we've gone over the bad, now it is time to go over the ugly, and I think the ugly part of this game was the fourth quarter when P.J. Washington had dragged them back into the game, and they had an opportunity, but then Sacramento looked to their three-point scores to bring them back into this game and finish the Hornets off, and in particular... Kevin Herter, and there were there was a 10-0 run that happened after that, or really a 9-0 run that happened after that uh, Nick Richards technical foul. They shoot the technical, they get the one point, and then a 9-0 run. Two of those plays were nearly identical for Sacramento that they run Kevin Herter from the corner. Uh, the first one, I think they ran him off one screen. The second one, they ran him off like a staggered screen up to the top of the floor to hit a three-point shot. And the man trailing Kevin Herter was Kelly Oubre. Um, his defense was something that I'm going to qualify as ugly in this game. It was in that critical moment, but there were also several other opportunities for Kelly Oubre to guard Kevin Herter, and it simply wasn't happening. He was late. Um, he was, I think, too too deep, uh, too far away from Kevin Herter. And Steve Clifford said after the game that those were two plays, the the two plays that Kevin Herter hit those three-point shots. It was a play that they had gone over in the run-up to this game. Like they, they had identified that play in Sacramento's tape. Hey, watch out for this play. They run this in critical moments when they need a bucket, and they needed it there. Uh, and, and they get up six all of a sudden on that 9-0 run. And uh, so, look, you know, Kelly Oubre has given the Hornets a lot of positives so far this season. We've said he's matured a lot, especially offensively. You know, he's gone from Tsunami Poppy to Tsunami Father. He's doing some interesting things offensively, and he has at times become a pest defensively. I look back to that Golden State game. He got a key turnover on Steph Curry, made Steph Curry travel because he's getting his hands in there, being handsy, being a pest defensively. But it's not good enough just to be a pest defensively. You also have to be disciplined enough defensively, especially in key moments in the game, when when you're with the starting group. He puts Clifford put the starting group back in at the six minute mark in the fourth quarter. That's when things have to lock down, especially when you have a lead when you're up three. Everybody has to be doing their job in order to secure that kind of win, especially when Sacramento had they had made the statement in the third quarter. Sacramento was there to win that basketball game. You have to know that. You have to understand that. And then you have to be ready and understand what you had learned in those tape sessions and those practice sessions in that lead up to the game and identify, oh, hey, Oh, I recognize this cover. This is where Kevin Herter gets a staggered screen and moves up top and stay attached to Kevin Herter. Instead, Kelly Oubre takes himself completely out of the play, had no shot. When Kelly Oubre and Gordon Hayward were on the same side of the floor, it usually led to a Sacramento bucket. There was some kind of either miscommunication between Gordon Hayward and Kelly Oubre or single coverage and Kelly Oubre was just behind the play. Um... Kelly Oubre is starting right now because it's something he's always wanted. By the way, he wants to start on an NBA team. He's made that abundantly clear. He wants to start, and he's starting right now because Lamelo's out, because Terry's out, and you know I don't know that he's necessarily doing enough in you know in that moment. Sure, but but overall defensively, Kelly still has issues that I think are going to prevent him from being a starter, especially on a Steve Clifford-run team that looks for that discipline defensively. Um, it It was an ugly moment, and ultimately, I think, you know, I think when you... If you're Steve Clifford, you're probably taking the 30,000 view, 30,000 foot view and going, okay, yes, that was a bad sequence, no doubt about it. But if you protect the basketball in the third quarter, if you don't turn it over, if you control possessions, 
you have a 15-point lead. You should be able to maintain at least part of that, go into the fourth quarter with some confidence, um, you know, and, and not foul, then you then you win the game, regardless of Kelly Oubre missing, uh, you know, on a couple of coverages and making some mistakes, you probably still win the basketball game. So I don't, you know, and, and I want to be fair and not like totally put the spotlight on Kelly Oubre and say that particularly is why they, it, it happened at a moment that essentially was a go-ahead moment for the Sacramento Kings. The Hornets still did have opportunities uh, I would say I would put in my ugly bucket point plumley, and it's tough to put in the ugly bucket because I know there were a lot of people out there sharing the highlights of point plumley when he was spinning, um, you know, spinning through Rashawn Holmes, dunking when he was dribbling the basketball around a Gordon Hayward screen for a dunk. You know, point plumley can look amazing at times, but there was a critical moment in the fourth quarter uh, when uh, point plumley got a steal and then got it picked from behind. And that was, you know, again, another blown possession that the Hornets didn't even have an opportunity to score. Cause look at the, look at the box score. Okay. The Hornets for the game shot 51% from the field shot 48% from three. They haven't even been shooting well from three this season. This was kind of a rare 14 of 29 from three. The focus has not been on the three-point line for the Charlotte Hornets this season. It's been a big difference from last season. But you get a great three-point shooting game from this team. They're missing Terry and LaMelo, two of their best three-point shooters, so that makes sense, right? But this one, you get a good three-point shooting game. Now, you don't shoot enough free throws, and you give them too many free throws. The free throws that you do shoot, uh, PJ missed one, uh, Mason missed three, Nick Richards strangely missed two. So you go 8 of 14 from the free throw line. But you shoot the ball well enough. You get points in the paint. You're doing things that that you typically would do when you win basketball games, and you don't, and that really comes down to uh, controlling possession. So I'd put that in the ugly bucket. Uh, you know, the fact that Davion Mitchell comes off the bench not shooting well, he's a bench wrench, you know, that that's tough, that's ugly. Uh, and I think finally Vegas uh, sort of caught up with the Hornets, if you will. Um, that's kind of an in- – it's been an interesting sort of storyline for the, the Charlotte Hornets. They've been uh, either because of the way they lose to teams like Orlando and they were favored to win against New York, uh, they've been tricking Vegas – and then they were double-digit point dogs to uh, the Golden State Warriors um, and to Atlanta, and they win both of those games. So they're really they kind of had Vegas a little bit dizzy. But then in the, coming into this game, I was looking at the line at home, coming off that win against Golden State. You're hosting Sacramento, who's probably better than the record one and four. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a doubt about that. Um, and Vegas had. The Kings favored by three points. So I think Vegas was like, all right, Hornets, I got you now. You get a big win, and then there's a bit of a letdown. And that's what the Hornets are right now. And I think, again, that's a reflection of still trying to learn how to play the Steve Clifford way. I think that's a reflection of the, again, missing LaMelo Ball, missing Terry Rozier, so much offense having to be run through Gordon Hayward and P.J. Washington. Not as many options. That bench fairy tale has really subsided at this point. Nick Richards offensively isn't playing the way Nick Richards was playing offensively in the first couple of games. You didn't have a big Teo explosion. Um, Dennis Smith Jr., I think, has maintained. That's one of the things that actually has um, you know, you, you kept stride with with what it was early in the season. But you need LaMelo back. You need Terry back. Now you're looking at two away games, one against um, Chicago, one against Memphis. I just did read 
and we'll get to this in the preview um, soon, but uh, Chicago won't have Zach Levine. So again, you have another opportunity against a team without one of their star players. But that doesn't mean anything. Honestly, you look at this one. De'Aaron Fox goes out uh, in the second quarter, doesn't come back. And the Hornets still, there's enough talent on every team that if you don't play disciplined basketball, if you give away possessions and you don't remember the plays that you went over in practice and don't execute on those plays defensively, then you will lose basketball games. And it doesn't matter if it's against the Kings or the Celtics or the Warriors or the Heat. It doesn't matter that you have to play the right way or uh, teams are going to catch up with you. Uh, So Vegas finally caught up with the Hornets. The Hornets will have to catch up on the road with uh, against Chicago and and against a really tough Memphis team too. The good the good if I go back to the good, the good part is okay, yeah, they're back and forth right now, win loss, win loss. They had the two straight losses to Orlando or and the Knicks and that almost that Knicks was almost a win. Uh, but they haven't gone on a significant losing streak as well. And I think a lot of credit goes to Steve Clifford. A lot of credit goes to P.J. Washington, Gordon Hayward, Dennis Smith Jr., and some of these bench wrenches that the Hornets have uh, that have been playing well. So we'll see what they do against Chicago, against Memphis. We'll have a bunch of previews, a bunch more ahead uh, on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Thanks so much for making us your first listen uh, every day. Every day. Uh, for your second listen, make sure you're checking out Locked On Sports today from the games that matter most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today available on this app or YouTube if you're listening and wherever you get your podcast. Walker Mail back on the show tomorrow, I promise. Go Hornets. Go America, let's swarm Charlotte. 